Ping Li actually gave us one of the most valuable pieces of insight and something that we had not considered. He said, guys, anybody can go get their first customer as an entrepreneur. Anyone can. But it's how do you scale the business? And he said, if you came in here six months from now, a year from now, and told me that you had five Fortune 500 companies, you were profitable, I would not invest. If you came in and told me you had a thousand customers and a hundred thousand dollars in ARR, I would jump all over you guys. And then reasoning why is you have figured out a business model that works. You have figured out a sales model that works. That whole old enterprise sales methodology is incredibly hard to scale. And so we took that insight, we came back, we regrouped, and we said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go build this, this product that individual sales reps can sign up for. They, they come in, they sign up, give us a nominal fee. We're going to build a mobile app. We're going to build a web app, and it's going to give them all this insight. And so we worked on that for about six months. We had some users. Uh, in fact, the guy that built our mobile app, he's now the head mobile developer of Netflix, and he was going to be a member of our team. And this mobile app was, I thought was fantastic. And then everything just fell on its face. Ground Up, episode 12. More than anyone we've talked to so far on Ground Up, Mike Donnelly truly scratched his own itch when he started 7th Sense. Mike was in enterprise tech sales, and noticed that it had become much harder to reach customers, even ones that he'd had 7-10 to 10 year relationships with. Projects were delayed, meetings unproductive, all because people didn't see his emails. So Mike started paying attention to patterns, and he only emailed people when he knew they were more likely to respond. Then came the moment. Why am I putting in all this manual work when the data is right here? So he built a prototype. He pitched investors, big ones. And even though he didn't get funding, he persisted anyways. Today... 7th Sense is integrated with HubSpot and Marketo, allowing users to leverage machine learning to send email to subscribers when they're most likely to engage with it. I led off with Mike with a really simple question. How and why does this work? If you think about human beings, we're all creatures of habit. We get out of bed at certain times of day. We commute at certain times of day. We have standing meetings at certain times of day. And we're more apt to respond or engage in communication at certain times of day. But your schedule is different than mine, which is different than Sally's, which is different than Sarah's. And with the deluge of just communication coming at us day in and day out, uh, I think you would agree with me, John. You'll get more email today than you did yesterday, and you'll get more email this week than last week. And last week, you got more email than the week before. So there's just kind of ever-increasing volume of communication coming at us day in and day out. And that's why timing is becoming such a critical component. A lot of people will say, oh, well, you know, A-B test your subject lines. And I bet years ago, people didn't even think about that, like, oh, changing subject lines. What I always like, liken it to is on the, on the subject line front, yeah, it's great to have a great subject line, but as, if a tree falls in a forest and nobody was there, did it actually make a sound? Uh, the same holds true with the inbox. If you don't time your messaging correctly, and if you really don't start thinking about this more and more, because again, there's just kind of ever-increasing volume coming at us, then you're going to kind of get left behind. Um, so at a very high level, that's, that's kind of where we focus, uh, focus our, our conversations and, uh, and energy. 
So right. So and and how does it work? Because obviously, it, it the the tool itself is able to learn through machine learning, like where and what what days, what times that your subscribers are engaging with your email, and then it sort of tailors future sends to that. That's correct. So what we do is we have uh, strategic partnerships today with both HubSpot and Marketo. Uh, we also can tie into corporate email systems, and and really what we're doing is we're listening for signals on when an individual is engaging with you in email. And so if you think about marketing automation, every time you send a marketing email, you're generating this engagement data, which is opens and clicks. Then if you think about a sales rep, and that sales rep is also sending, call her Sarah, an email, and Sarah's responding to those emails, those are all signals that we capture. And we also captured did the event happen on a mobile device, did it happen on a desktop, et cetera. So we capture those signals. And then we build a, through a proprietary algorithm, we build a profile on each individual contact. And then for the marketing team, rather than blasting out an email to 5,000, 50,000, or 500,000 of your closest friends at 10 a.m. on Tuesday, we empower you to personalize the send time to each individual at their most optimal time. Then for the sales rep, Rather than writing an email when it's convenient for you and just sending it right away, we give you insight into, hey, when's the most optimal time to deliver this email to Sarah? Right. And that could be 10 a.m. on a Tuesday or it could be 4 p.m. on a Friday, right, when, when somebody's trying to catch up with their inbox towards the end of the week, um, which, is, which is super interesting. So how did this uh, – the, the idea – and well, well, first, to back up a sec, and I would imagine it gets smarter over time, right? The more emails that you send using 7Cents, it's going to get smarter, learn more about your subscribers, and the more you're sending via 7Cents, the more it's going to learn about it, and it's just going to get better and better over time. Exactly. So every day we're analyzing all new engagement data that's coming in on an individual, and the system just continually sits there and learns and rebuilds those profiles on on those individuals. So you went into, obviously, the sort of the value pitch, right? Like we're all getting a deluge of email every single day. It's hard to engage with all of it. And we probably miss a lot of these messages as a result, a lot of ones that we otherwise would have wanted to receive. But how did this How did this all come about, like from idea to uh, conception to actually, you know, th- okay, this is going to be a business. This is something that, you know, I'm going to do full time. How did the idea and, and really um, the reality of 7 Cents come about? <laughs> so it's a great question. And one day I always say I'm going to write a business book on mistakes that you make in building a, uh, building a company. Um, so I'll give, uh, I'll give you a little bit of background on where the idea was conceptualized and kind of the history of the company. It's, it, I'll go into as much detail as you'd like. Um, if you feel like I'm getting a little bit long-winded, just you know, feel free to say, okay, get it, Mike. Um, so I was in enterprise tech sales for 13 years And one of the things that I really just started noticing was reaching customer, even customers that I had seven, 10-year relationships with was getting harder and harder. They weren't responding to my emails like they used to. They weren't, you know, answering my phone like they used to. And every single time I would sit down for a meeting or lunch with these large enterprise customers, whether it was the CTO, the VP of technology, et cetera, and I would say, hey, this project is getting delayed. And they would immediately respond, well, why is the project getting delayed, Mike? And I would say, because you haven't responded to my last three emails. You haven't returned my phone calls. And the resounding response was, Mike, I never saw your email. 
I never even noticed that you called. And so what I would do is I would pay attention to, hey, if I want to reach, I'll just call him out, Dave Sheedy at Comscore, who was a big customer of mine. I knew intuitively that he would respond to me between 9 and 11 in the morning. Um, whereas Kyle Knack at National Geographic, he would, he would respond to me or answer my phone uh, between 5 and 6 o'clock at night. And so I started paying attention to those patterns. And one day it dawned on me, why am I spending my mental energy trying to figure out when I should reach these individuals when it's all sitting there in my data? And so we had a hypothesis that, yes, people are creatures of habit, but we wanted a way to really prove that hypothesis out. So we built a prototype that analyzed all of my email history to illuminate people's patterns of behavior. Sure enough, it was like, it was pretty eye-opening. Wow. Okay, this is a this is a thing. We then took that prototype to a company called Kerasoft, which this year they'll do multiple billions in revenue. And we went to their CEO and we explained what we were doing. And he had kind of an epiphany moment and said, guys, this is brilliant. This solves a huge problem that we're having within our business, which is our phone connect rates are going down. Our you know, email response rates are going down. Our marketing on our marketing engagement is continuing to decrease for all the reasons that you say. Everybody is just getting hammered with email calls, social, you know, notifications, et cetera, day in and day out. And he said, look, I would be willing to be, you know, kind of an alpha customer of this. So we went off and we analyzed all of their historical phone data. And they make between thirty to forty thousand phone calls every single business day. And they had 10 years of that history. Wow. So we went off and we analyzed all of that data. We then went off and analyzed all of their email data as well as their marketing automation data. Then what we did was we tied back into their existing CRM and their existing tool sets. And so what a sales rep used to do prior to 7 cents, and I'll just use this as an example, is they would come in, they would say, okay, these are the 50 people that I need to call today. And they have 700 of these inside reps. These are the 50 people that I need to call today based on XYZ criteria. You know, I've got an open opportunity. I haven't talked to them in two weeks. And they would just smile and dial throughout the day. Now, the new approach, because we were sitting right there inside of their CRM, they would click a time button and would say, call these people at 9, call these people at 10, call these people at 11, etc. And what they saw was that their phone connect rates actually increased by 37%. So as you can imagine, as a business, that was a huge piece of value for them. And their CEO was expecting, guys, if you can increase my connect rates by even a half a percent, there's tremendous value there. But it ended up being 37%. What actually became a more interesting statistic to him is the talk time was 17% longer when they connected during a predicted call time. Wow, and what that huge. was an indicator was, was that my reps are having a more valuable conversation with the, you know, with the recipient of that call rather than somebody picking up the phone and going, yeah, you caught me at a bad time and then they hang up on them. So they became our first customer. And all the while, while we were doing this, both me and my co-founder were working, <laughs> working full-time jobs. So we were doing this as a nights and weekends project. Once we saw this data, we said, we got to quit our jobs. We got to go at this thing full time. And so we went at it full time. And based on that success, it actually gave us a false sense of security of, wow, this is a real thing. We then went off and tried to follow the same playbook of every other startup in the world. 
hey, we got to go raise money. This is, you know, this is what we've got to go do. And you guys talked to some pretty big investors too. We did. Um, So, you know, some of them included Barry Eggers with Lightspeed, who's obviously on the board of of Snapchat. And this is when Snapchat was just exploding. Um, Frankly, I was pretty nervous going in to an hour with Barry Eggers. Um, (laughs) So we did our trip to Silicon Valley. Barry Eggers was the first one we pitched. We learned some stuff from that. Then we went to Ping Lee with Excel. Um, then finally, Glenn Solomon with GGV uh, Capital. And then also had an opportunity to sit down with Eric Halali at Sequoia. And some of the wow. things that big, we big heard. Players. Yeah, I mean, th- these are the guys in Silicon Valley. Um, and what how did we, you get meetings with these guys, by the way? I mean, th- this is brought the, the simple stuff that you glance over, but how did you, did, did you, did you have mutual connections? How did you not land meetings with those guys? So it was interesting. The company that I was working with, um, or working for as my full-time job, while I was doing this as a nights and weekends project for the better part of, I don't know, almost a year. Uh, when I was leaving, I had started kind of really their enterprise group. And the CEO came to me and said, hey, can you stick around for at least another two months to transition things? You know, you've got a lot in the works. We just can't lose you overnight. And he asked me, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm building this thing and this is what it is. And his thought was, wow, this is this is brilliant. And his name is uh, Suresh Vasudevan. And he was the CEO of Nimble Storage. He's very well known in the Silicon, uh, you know, in the Valley. And. He said, Mike, you know, why don't I set up meetings with some of our investors so that you can at least pitch them and get some, some candid feedback from them? Not to say that, they, I don't know, maybe they'll invest in you, maybe they won't, but at the very least, getting that early feedback from power players like this can really propel your business. Oh, sure. And so he went off and he just used his personal connections, sent them all emails, and they all responded to me. And sure enough, there we go. We get a full week of meetings in, in the Valley. And what were those meetings like? I, I would assume you were asked a ton of questions uh, that helped sort of, you know, further your um, sort of approach, right? To, to, to not only pitching this, but what you were building. Yeah, absolutely. And it, again, it was very nerve wracking because I've never been as part of that, like kind of an investor pitch, hey, what to expect, et cetera. And what I started to realize after talking with, because again, Barry Eggers was the first one that we did, I realized, okay, I can calm down a little bit. I can just, I can kind of be me and that's kind of what they want to see. Um, and so a, a couple things that we heard that were quite eye opening was like Barry said to us, guys, this, this is actually, yeah, th- this is a real problem, but I did, I just don't know how you solve it in massive scale. He said, you know, it would be great if I could snap chat my daughter when sh- I have the highest likelihood of her engaging in it because she ignores most of the snaps that I sent her. And it's probably because like you said, I'm just trying to engage with her at the wrong time. Um, and it was very similar kind of feedback from both Glenn at GGV as well as Arif at Sequoia of how do you guys deploy this in a way that can reach masses? And that's, one of the fundamental issues that we had not. So they wanted to touch everything out. social. The, the, I mean that that that's a massive interaction, uh, communication uh, solution that they were looking for, right? Exactly. It's all. It also comes back, and I'll get back into this. It it also comes into the same fundamental challenge that you brought up at the beginning, which is one changing my behavior 
So I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute. And, and, and Ping Lee actually gave us one of the most valuable pieces of insight and something that we had not considered. He said, guys, anybody can go get their first customer as an entrepreneur. Anyone can. But it's how do you scale the business? And he said, if you came in here six months from now, a year from now, and told me that you had five Fortune 500 companies, you were profitable, I would not invest. If you came in and told me you had a thousand customers and a hundred thousand dollars in ARR, I would jump all over you guys. And then reasoning why is you have figured out a business model that works. You have figured out a sales model that works. That whole old enterprise sales methodology is incredibly hard to scale. And so we took that insight, we came back, we regrouped, and we said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go build this, this product that individual sales reps can sign up for. They, they come in, they sign up, give us a nominal fee. We're going to build a mobile app. We're going to build a web app, and it's going to give them all this insight. And so we worked on that for about six months. We had some users. Uh, in fact, the guy that built our mobile app, he's now the head mobile developer of Netflix, and he was going to be a member of our team. And this mobile app was... I thought was fantastic. And then everything just fell on its face. And How looking so? back, the reason why every, we just couldn't grow. We just couldn't we get just, users. We, we couldn't get users. And the users that we were getting were not sticking. And you were, and you were at that time, you were targeting sales reps. Sales reps, correct. And what we finally realized was people don't want another app to go to. This is what we heard in Silicon Valley, but we really didn't hear it. We, we, we thought we were listening of, oh, you got to go build this app. And, but no, people want this intelligence in what they're already using. So they, don't, they, they really don't want to have to change their, their behavioral pattern. So we struggled. It was, and I know what, you know, I know what this podcast is about around how entrepreneurs think, et cetera. And it was probably three months of sleeping two hours a night. What have I done? Some massive depression. How are we going to dig out of this? I've put a lot of money into it, et this cetera. Is, this was long after you had already quit your job. Correct. And so we went back and we said, okay, well, once again, were we listening or were we, were we really hearing what people were telling us? And all, all the while of us trying to build that individual sales product, VPs of sales and CEOs were telling us, man, the use case, the initial use case of this just makes so much sense in marketing, guys. And we, we thought we were hearing that, but we didn't know how to tie into those marketing automation systems. So one day, there's a gentleman by the name of Steve Richard and... Guy is just a phenomenal guy, and I had met him, and he gave me that same piece of advice. Guys, this makes more sense in the marketing space, and I happen to know Mark Roberge. And so he said, why don't you set up a call? Why don't I set up a call for you for Mark, with Mark Roberge? And so he set up a call with Mark Roberge. Uh, Mark and I, this is when Mark was still the CRO of HubSpot. I pitched him on the idea. He's like, guys, this is fantastic. Um, we're building out a Connect program. Why don't you integrate? 
with us. And so these are all the benefits of doing so. So we started building an integration with HubSpot. And we finally realized how we could integrate with these marketing systems. And very quickly, we got into the Connect program. We got our first 10 customers. Uh, we had to do a lot of A-B testing to show those customers that, hey, this is actually worth the time, the, the extra five minutes per send. that you. It's worth changing your behavior. So these and were we HubSpot did a lot customers. of that. These right. were HubSpot customers. So we did a lot of A-B testing of, hey, send it your normal way, send it with us, and we'll show you what the results are. And so then we just, business really just started growing and growing and growing and growing. Um, and then we started hearing from Marketo customers of, hey, this would be great if you had it on Marketo. So we went and built an integration with Marketo. And... Now we hear it all the time, like from Eloqua customers and, you know, kind of all the marketing automation systems that are out there. So then what, what we kind of came back full circle of as we continue to expand our base, sales reps started hearing about us and saying, hey, we want access to this data. And so we went and built an integration with HubSpot CRM. And we've gotten a lot of really great feedback from that. And so now we're in the process of building the same integration with Salesforce so that Salesforce users can get access to this data. Um, and then our big project, which we're working on right now, is an integration with uh, right inside of Gmail so oh, that wow. you'll get this access to this data right inside of Gmail. That's massive. Um, so that was, again, the long-winded story. And we ended up not we, we ended up deciding not to raise capital, which we've been very, very excited about. And the quick backdrop on that is one day – we were talking to the CEO of Kerasoft and he said, guys, stop trying to raise capital. Go build a real business. Go build a real business. You don't have to worry about investors, you know, grinding you and things like that. And it, it ended up because we've had to pivot in so many areas and try so many new things because it's a you know, new conceptual idea for folks. So again, long-winded story of, of the background of the company. How long has the relationship with HubSpot? I mean, you met Mark was obviously still at HubSpot, so it's at least been a couple of years, but yep. since you've seen that real that traction with the HubSpot user base, and obviously that's grown now with Marketo and soon to be Gmail users as well, but how long ago was that? So we started the integration in July of 2015. So it's been two and a half, about yeah, two and a half years uh, since we started the integration. And then we we kind of launched it uh, with a few uh, beta customers in September of 2015. And then we became part of the Connect program in January of 2016. So those first few users, was was that real high touch for you guys? Like kind of learning Incredibly high touch. what they were doing? Yep. Like, you know, talk to us about what you're seeing from not using 7Cents and, and from using 7Cents. So what were those initial engagements like? Were they seeing... Uh, that value was there some tweaks to make on, on your end? I'm sure there was, but what was that initial, like, did you uncover that aha moment pretty quickly with, uh, once you kind of, you know, got in with those HubSpot users and were, you know, working in high touch engagements and working with them on that? We did. And really kind of some of those aha moments were some of these were larger HubSpot customers where we would say, okay, you've got a email blast that you want to send. So you've got the content ready. You've got a list of 100, 200, 300,000 people that you're sending it to. We built, and this was also part of the learning curve, uh, we built a randomization algorithm to split those lists in two. 
And then we would say, okay, we're going to send to this list, to the A cohort, at pick a time, Mr. Customer. And they would say, okay, 10 o'clock a.m. on Tuesday. All right, and then we're going to take the other half of the list, and we're going to send it over seven days or just even over 24 hours. And then we that gave us the capability of comparing and contrasting the results of how 7 Cents was doing. Nothing had... Nothing was different about the email content. The only thing that was different was the time of day that it was being sent. And what we started to recognize, wow, wow, we're getting double digit. And some of those, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40% differences in engagement rates between the two sends. And that's where we said, okay, we've, we've got something here. We got to keep, you know, putting gas on the fire. And over time, our algorithms have evolved, et cetera, to take advantage of more data as, as we get access to it. So I'd imagine, too, the use case is a bit different. So if you're a sales rep, maybe you can't wait a week or two weeks, right, to get in front of who you're talking to, or, or, or maybe you can, right? It depends on you know who, who you're selling for. But is the use case a little different uh, for marketers and, and sales reps in terms of like what window they're using to send their emails with um, and things like that? So it is. Um, it, it really comes down to, hey, if I want to reach, I, I have heard this before of, well, why would I wait to send my email, Mike? Well, imagine that you send a customer an email. On, th- th- that customer always responds to me. Well, yeah, they might respond to you always, but they may respond to you days later. So if you're sending your email on a Monday and you get a response on Friday, you feel good. Um but what if you could send that email at the optimal time on Monday and then you get a response on Monday? You just cut out four days of your sales cycle. Right. Because you got that response more immediate. Um, and so, or, hey, this is a really, th- this, is a, this is kind of an informational email that I want to send to this customer about getting together next week. Across the week, when do I have the most optimal time of reaching this individual? Okay, I'm going to send it to him then. So it does, you know, there is a little bit of strategy there from the sales rep's perspective of saying, you know, is this a critical email that needs to go out today or is it, can it wait a day or two uh, before it's, before it's actually sent? For sure. So these days, uh, I guess to talk about like the, the actual makeup of users and things like that. What, um, what do you see in terms of like breakdown between like HubSpot, like of the number of users that you guys had, how many would you say are, are, are HubSpot users and, and Marketo at this point? So it's 90 percent HubSpot, ten percent Marketo. We have not spent a tremendous amount of time marketing to the uh, Marketo community, at least not yet. Um, so those have been more referral, word of mouth. We are a launch point partner with Marketo, but a majority of our marketing efforts focus. Um, HubSpot has a you know a great connect partner program where Marketo is is slowly trying to catch up to that. Um, so we've We've spent a lot of time with market or with HubSpot. The other reason that we've spent a lot of time with HubSpot is they have better hooks um, into their APIs than Marketo does. So it just allows us to d- deliver a lot more value uh, to those two HubSpot customers. Right. And uh, in terms of users, what do you guys see? How many uh, how many users are you guys up to now? So we've got 150 uh, or so corporate customers um, that range using us from both sales teams as well as uh as well as on the marketing side 
Nice. And do you, what do you use as like a success metric, like number of emails sent per month, uh, weekly active usage? What, what, what's like your measure there of, of you know, things are moving up and to the right? So not emails per month. I mean, we, we definitely were, you know, we're sending, I don't know, somewhere probably in the range of 10 to 15 emails per month. And, and again, we don't handle the sends that HubSpot still delivers your message, all the analytics reporting. Same thing with Marketo. We, we are not a marketing automation system. Um, so that's not something that, I mean, we obviously look at that and yes, as that increases, um, that's a good thing. Uh, but really what we look at is like you said, is, you know, kind of average usage across our customer base on a more on a per monthly basis. Cause we do have a lot of customer, I, I shouldn't say a lot, but we do have some customers that don't send email, you know, once per week. Um, right. So monthly active usage is really the, the, the measure as it, uh, right now. Right. Correct. Cool. And what, uh, what are you guys doing for revenue? Uh, so we're at about 350,000 in ARR. Nice. And what, what, like you guys have four pricing tiers? Yeah. Four pricing tiers today, depending on the number of contacts that you have within a, within your HubSpot portal or within your Marketo lead database. Um, so we've tried to make it, you know, really flexible and I know we have some work to do there. Uh, but you know, it just ranges on size of company, um, or size of database, which is exactly how we license it, license it. Right. And what does the model look like today is a free trial, um, do you guys offer a, a freemium plan? Like how, how are you guys getting folks into the product and then, and then obviously paying for it? So great question. Um, we, we did start off with a free trial, but what, one of the things that we, that we started to recognize, it's a little bit more of a high touch sale. And we, we kind of realized that, Hey, we, maybe we shouldn't be doing a free trial. Um, and so right now it is, you know, we'll do a sales, you know, we'll, we'll have a call, we'll, we'll discuss your, you know, email marketing efforts, um, at which point customer says, yeah, let's go ahead. And they sign up. Now, it, one of the things that we've done to eliminate or reduce friction with customers is it is a month-to-month subscription. So you, you don't have to commit to a long-term. Um, so if after a month it's not delivering value or your budget goes away or something, uh, you can leave us. Luckily, that doesn't happen much. Um, but we give the user that option. Nice. Um, and we had touched on this earlier, uh, but sending an email right now or an email uh, to your user base is, is, is really easy. So talk about that challenge that we teased earlier uh, encountering this inertia. So um, and just continuing to do things the same way that I'm used to, uh, not wanting to change my habits because I imagine that at this point, that's your biggest quote unquote competitor, right? Uh, yep. because there's not many people, if any doing what you guys are doing. So how do you, how do you guys counter that inertia right now in, in, in going to market? So I'll ask you a question. What's Einstein's definition of insanity? <laughs> doing things the same way over again and expecting a different result. That's correct. Yep. So if, if you think about, again, it comes down to everybody's audience sizes are growing, but their engagement rates are dropping. And the other thing that's compounding this issue, which a lot of people that use email don't think about, but I think there's, there's a train coming at all of us, is the email service providers are getting incredibly smart 
and deliverability, email deliverability is becoming increasingly challenging. And if you don't start thinking about, hey, how do I either one, increase engagement or two, or two, stop the decline of my engagement, then you're going to start running into deliverability issues. It used to be, I would say a year ago, I might have one conversation every two months around, hey, our emails aren't being delivered, they're landing in spam, you know, our engagement rates are, are just falling off a cliff, et cetera. Now I'm having that conversation at least every other day. Wow. Yeah. So I think what I've seen too with many marketers is when they see that lack of engagement, they just cleanse their lists. Oh, these people yep. aren't engaged anymore. Let's clean them out. We don't want to, uh, you know, impact our deliverability rates and, you know, our, our send reputation and things like that. But it sounds like there's opportunity there to win some of those people back or, or in some cases it might be too late, but going forward by, 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 uh, aligning with people's preferred time of receiving an email, you might not need to uh, list cleanse as frequently or or as much if you're able to engage people at the right time. Would you say that that's accurate? That so that is absolutely an accurate statement. Um, so you can win back actually quite a quite a few um, or quite a high percentage of those. Think of them as like dormant contacts by purely personalizing the time. We've had. What's interesting is when we talk to customers that have been with HubSpot five, six, seven years, and they start using our product, we will actually <laughs> wake up people that have not engaged with them for five, six years by purely wow. using timing as the mechanism. <laughs> five now, six years, that's crazy. The other thing which we haven't even talked about um, and something that we're, we're investing a tremendous amount of time and energy, uh, not only into the product, but also... Um, educating the market on is email frequency can have a massive impact on keeping people engaged and keeping them engaged for significantly longer. Say, for example, you sign up for somebody's daily blog. You did that because you were interested in the content. Then over time, you're like, I don't need a daily blog from them. And most subscribers, yes, us people in marketing know that we can go change our subscription preferences, et cetera. But most subscribers don't know about that. And by the time they do know about it, they're already so frustrated that you continue to send them a daily email that they haven't engaged with in months, that they just go unsubscribe, report you at spam, or worse, they just ignore your messages, which creates a gray mail effect, which eventually affects your deliverability. Well, they've left signs, bef- signs behind saying, I'm, I'm pushing back on you. I, I'm not engaging with you. Like, slow your cadence. And so if you simply slow your cadence to people that are st- – giving you those cues, you can keep them engaged. So for example, we've worked with a number of companies on this as, as part of a beta and that we've actually built it into the product now where they were seeing declining engagement rates. And we said, okay, for people that are highly engaged, keep sending them your weekly newsletter. For people that are slowly starting to disengage, send them an email every two weeks and use the best content from that first week in that second, in that, in that newsletter. And then people that are getting even more disengaged, send them, stop sending them weekly, bi-weekly, send them a monthly newsletter and take all the best content from the month and throw it in that newsletter. And then for people that are just super heavily fatigued of your content, send them a quarterly newsletter 
and take all of the best content from the quarter and throw it into that quarterly email. And then when you get that monthly or that quarterly email, you're like, wow, this content is fantastic. And so it just keeps those people engaged because the last thing you want is, especially in, if we're selling SaaS products or really any product in general is, Hey, I, I was interested in your product. I actually ended up going with a competitor, but you keep sending to me emails every week or every, you know, every two weeks so that when I'm interested in when my renewal is up or something a year later, I don't even remember your brand. I'm actually frustrated with your brand because you just kept sending me just email, 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 where if you would have sent me a quarterly newsletter, I would have stayed engaged. And that way, a year later, my brain is reactivated to say, oh, I want to talk to these guys again. So email frequency can have a massive impact. um, And before people cleanse lists, I always recommend saying, hey, why don't you try a different tact first, which is to change the frequency at which you're sending to individuals. Right. Yeah, email still generates the highest ROI of, of most of, of any marketing channel, but I think that leads to a lot of bad behavior, right? Yep. Like, and it has been for a long time. People lean into it really heavily. They send it super, you know, every day, every week. Um, but yeah, email marketers have long needed to, to get a little more sophisticated in their approach. And something like seven cents obviously takes people a long way toward doing that. Uh, so, and to, to that point, John, email is, and, and this is, this is another challenge that I think we all face is email is it's next to free to send. And that's why we have some of those bad behaviors. Like just blast it out. Send it yeah, out. Exactly. It's, it, it, it's, it, it's free. Um, but what doesn't come free is the attention on the other side of it. So That's a lot a of point. people right. treat it as kind of a commodity of, yeah, it is free to send, but it's not free whatsoever. And it can actually have a huge cost component on the attention side of it. So going back to earlier, what, what you heard from, from Barry and uh ping lee and and the guys from sequoia thinking five years out or or more do you do you see this growing into something beyond just email do you do you see it getting uh, obviously uh the space in general will but the, the the seventh sense do you ever see it growing uh into social or or other areas of of marketing and sales absolutely so we actually I don't want to name names, but we just signed a, a VoIP company. Uh, they're actually a very large VoIP company in, and they're on Marketo. And we told them about what we've been doing on the phone side. And they were like, wow, we gotta, we gotta get this. Uh, we gotta get you talking to our product management folks, uh, et cetera. Um, so yes, moving into other directions of, uh, phone, Social, you think about LinkedIn, um, LinkedIn, we've, we've been in conversations with them because they're looking to open up more APIs to some select partners. So, Hey, when should I send Scott an in-mail? Uh, because Scott actually engages in in-mail. Um, and so you think about those kind of social, uh, components. Now, you know, you think about where this can touch in everyday life. Hey, when should I send my wife an email about the golf trip that I want to go to? <laughs> you know, when, when historically has she said to me, Hey, I want to go play golf or, or, or that she, 
hey, you can go on this golf trip, Mike. Um, because there's patterns to all of that. Um, you also think, and, and this is an area that you know, we, we've already started testing a little bit of the waters with, but also, hey, should I send John an email that's 150 characters because he always responds to those? Or should I send him a book, like multiple paragraphs because John likes a lot of information? Well, John leaves those digital cues behind. Um, should I address John, hi, hello, hey, or do I even need to address him? And we, if you, I'd encourage you, John, next time you're looking at your email, see how people address, <laughs> see how people address you. And those little tweaks can actually make a big difference. I'll give you a, for example. So discovery communications was a huge customer of mine. Their VP of technology, uh, was a, he became a friend of mine and they were also one of my biggest customers. I knew that if I sent Britain an email that was 150 characters or less, he would respond. If I sent him anything more than that, he would never respond. And so what I would do is I would send him an email that's 150 characters or less at 7 a.m. because I knew that's when he was going to, you know, when I had the highest probability of him responding. He would immediately respond. Then I would send him another email with 150 characters or less. He would immediately respond. Then another email with 150 characters, he would immediately respond. And what I was doing was I was tricking him. I was influencing him to say, you don't have to think about, you, you have to think about this email in bite-sized chunks versus having this large email that comes at me and I really have to, you know, immediately I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm like, wow, I actually have to sit down and really think about this. And by sending him 10 emails with 150 characters or less, I got the same answer sending him one email that had, you know, multiple paragraphs in it. Man, this is this is this is mind blowing. Like you, you t- taking it that, uh, I mean, I would love to be able to have that data. Uh, you know, number of characters and 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 uh, the greeting and the the way this is going is super exciting. And you guys are you guys are doing great work. And it's it's a it's an exciting product. It works. Um, where can people where can people go to learn more about Seven Cents? So obviously, our website www the seventh sense.com and so instead of the sixth sense the seventh sense.com um they can also feel free to send me an email my direct email is mike at the seventh sense.com um our twitter handle is at knowing when so a pretty appropriate twitter handle yeah, that's great and uh i would say those are probably the you know the the best areas Mike, thanks for being so generous with your time and and the and just like your story, all the information that you offered up. Uh, this was this was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed this story. I can't wait for people to hear it. Awesome. Well, no, John. Again, thank you so much for having me on. I'm I'm a huge fan of of what you're building with uh, with the podcast, and appreciate any listeners that listen and hopefully you got something out of it. The admiration goes both ways. Mike, thanks a lot. We'll thanks. talk soon. All right, sounds good. Thanks, John. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.